Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. This is episode 568 for the 29th of September, 2021. Lars de Nielsen is a stalwart of the Swedish jazz scene, capturing the very best of Nordic jazz and beyond in his compositions and playing. The double bassist and cellist, yes, he's equally prodigious on both instruments, has released albums for the European label Act Music for over a decade, and his latest offering, Cloudland, transported me beyond the confines of, well, my home, Thank you, COVID. The caliber of his bandmates, past and present, Dave Liebman, Bobo Stenson, Jun Sun Na, Niels Landgren, Tigran Hamasian, tells you how highly regarded Lars is, both as a sideman and as a band leader. I managed to track Lars down on Facebook, not my most professional moment, but was so delighted when he came back to me and agreed to be my guest for this episode. We chatted about his gorgeous new album, exactly how Nordic his brand of Nordic jazz is, and he told me all about his new passion, a hybrid instrument. It's a combination between a double bass and a cello, and it is fascinating. All this and more in my conversation with Lars. Welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. I'm so honored to have you as a guest. I'm a huge fan of your work, both as a bassist and a cellist, but also as a composer. I don't know how you do it album after album. There's just so much music coming out of you. That's what I do. That's what I'm trying to do all the time, actually. So that's, that's, I, ho- I hope, I'm happy that you like it. Well, you do it well, and I'm so glad that it seems like the well is bottomless and you just have so much creativity and so many intoxicating melodies to write. And we're going to talk about your treatment of the melody. Where are you coming to me from? Are you in Sweden? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Sweden now. Yeah. Oh, lovely. I wasn't sure because you, you offered to talk so late at night. I thought maybe he's not in Sweden. Maybe he's somewhere else. No, 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 no. I'm here. You have a beautiful new album, Cloudland, that came out on Act Music in May 2021. And it's with your group Libretto. 
And it's the fourth album. It is, yes. With an ensemble with that title. The the musicians have changed, but... Yeah. Actually, most of the musicians are the same. It's actually only the piano player who has changed and also some guests also. It's just a beautiful group. And I'm going to jump into your being Swedish. It's something I find really fascinating the question of can we hear nationalities in jazz or can we not? And is jazz just completely, you know, universal and global? There are some very typical aspects of what I would call Nordic jazz in this music, in your music. There's a sense of space. There's a sense of atmosphere, which is certainly helped when you have someone like Arve Henriksen on trumpet. There's It's such a great sound. But this album and your other albums, there's also musical influence from Spain and from Brazil. Do you think that your Swedish heritage, your being Swedish, is audible in your music? And if so, in what way do you feel like it comes through? I think mostly the music I'm writing comes from music that I have listened to during my whole life, which is not only Swedish music, actually it's quite small part of it that is Swedish music, but it's a lot of different music because I, I grew up, uh, I was a lot in the church. My, my music teacher was a fantastic organ player. So I was learning that from him, the, the voicings and, and the hymns. And then I played uh, both classical and rock and roll as a young kid. So I think that has, as much influence and and the typical Swedish music. Of course, I played a lot with uh, Swedish musicians and listened to them. So so I I guess I have influence from that as well. I love how wide reaching it is. And you do, you rock out on the cello on this album with the distortion pedal and it's it's fantastic. Actually, that's what I come from. That's how I started to play because I, I started to play guitar and uh, organ, Hammond organ, actually. So that was years before I started to play the bass. So in that way, it feels natural to me to blend those those sounds. Sorry, I'm just stopping. Okay. No, that's okay. Well, in terms of your being a cellist and a bassist, it's an interesting combination. It's It makes sense, of course, even just by mere virtue of looking at the instruments, but they're very different and they have very different roles, certainly in jazz. What effect does your bass playing have on your musicianship as a cellist and vice versa? Uh, to start with, I started to play cello when I was 10 years old and then I went to the conservatory studying classical cello and that was before I started to play bass I was actually 20 years when I started to play bass so 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 all the techniques that I used on the bass and use comes from the cello playing actually so in a way I'm more a guitarist and a cello player using the upright bass then I was studying the the upright bass, I I, I can say, yes. Well, it's interesting because I was very struck on all your albums, but particularly on Cloudland, by the tone of your bass. 
And when the bass had the melody, I, I think of like Imagine Joao, your tone is beautiful. How much of that do you think is because sound is such an important part of certainly the cello and the guitar? I I, th I think it comes from that. I, I see the instrument when I play the melody, I, I, I'm thinking it as a voice. I think I try to to make it as, as a voice to sing when I play the melody. And, I, and as a bass player, I, I always try to relate to the melody as much as to the to the drums and 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 rhythms so the melody is as important for me are there other bassists that you admire who you feel have a similar sense of i guess reverence for the the sound quality of the bass well, i guess i'm just saying which bassists do you admire oh there's so many i i admire i i, I listened a lot i one of my heroes is, is is Gary Peacock, and and um, and then of, of course the Swedish players like Palle Danielsson and and uh, Anders Jormin, who was my teacher, he's a great player. I listened to, and uh, I mean all the famous uh, heroes in, in the jazz. I listened to a lot, Paul Chambers, so mm -hmm. so many, yeah. I love how you make the instrument sing out in that way. Let's chat melody, because I think part of what I so admire about your compositions is the integrity of the melody. They're very melodically driven, and you have these melodies that I could sing along to. And for me, that's part of the test of a good melody. Do I remember it? And can I sing along to it after, you know, a couple of listens? How do you get that so right? I think for me to to write, so to say, traditional melodies was always natural for me. I think it comes from that I, I listened a lot to music that was very melodic, like uh, hymns, Bach, and also not to forget pop music. Uh, so it's a mixture of that, I think. Uh, to writing songs has always fascinated me. and. Uh, I, I like the beauty of a nice song. I think everybody does, actually. find it challenging to strike the balance between delivering your piece, your composition as you've written it, but also allowing space for the amazing musicians that you work with to improvise and stretch out? Or is it quite easy for you to get that balance right? Always. It's always a, a balance. And uh, then uh, to improvise over that. But uh, I, 
most of the time I have everything in my head. So I, I since I compose on the piano, I want uh, a lot of harmonies and uh, voicings to be as I think it is in my head. So often it, it stops with that, um, when we play the theme, it's very arranged actually. Do you write notated music for the piano as well? Yes, yes, a lot. Interesting. So, so yeah, yeah. So uh, in a way too much sometimes because I also like when people improvise. That's where I come from. I, uh, so I, I'm that I'm I'm dealing with that all the time. How much I should write and how much space I should leave to the musicians. Well, speaking of the musicians, um, the ensemble on this album, you have Gregory Privat on piano, John Paracelli on guitars, Magnus Oerström on drums and percussion. I mentioned him before, beautiful trumpet sound from Arve Henriksen. And you've got Kinan Asme on, on clarinet, which is a nice yes. new addition. And I don't need to tell you this, but it's interesting that the group is called Libretto because of course, Libretto is the text of an opera. And there is something of an ongoing dialogue, a conversation amongst you and all your bandmates, especially given that you're all navigating the music that you have written and that you have presented for them to bring to life with you. What kind of band leader are you? And what's most important to you when you're guiding a group of musicians of this caliber through your music? I think one of the most important thing for me is that we feel good together and that we are friends who, who can make music together because my goal is to make them sound as good as possible and feel as good as possible with the music. I mean, if I don't succeed to let my musicians sound good, I failed. So that's my job as a composer, I think and a musician to make them sound good. I think that that's, that's most important. That's well said. Lars, how do you, I guess, choose is not quite the right word, but how do you decide which musicians to work with? You know, how did Arve come to you? How did Gregory come to you? Because the previous album was with Tigran Hamasian, fabulous Armenian pianist. So how did you, yeah, how do you decide? Oh, I, th I think it's a, d a different story for, for each of them. Uh, Gregory came in because Tigran left the band and then my manager, uh, Rene Hess, uh, had heard Gregory and he propo proposed me to listen to him. I, I didn't know about him then. And then I listened to him and just loved his playing and then asked him to come and join. So that was how that uh, started. And talking about Arve, I mean, I admire his playing for many years. And he also lives in the same village as I in outside Gothenburg in Sweden. So he, and he has become, I think it's the third album or no, he's, he's on each, each of them. And uh, so now he has also become a part of the sound on some song, he, he he's, he's never, he doesn't play with us live, but in the studio, if it feels very important that he's there as well. 
because he's so unique as uh, not a trumpet player, but a musician. Mm. And when you play live, when you tour this music, do you use a different trumpeter or do you leave that chair empty? No, no, then we play as a quartet most of the time. We have sometimes we have made some concerts with with trumpet, uh, but that was a couple of years ago. But no, normally live we play on quartet. I like that. Very loyal, very loyal. And tell me how you came about including Kinan in this. Kinan asked I, I was listening to him uh, also on the internet because uh, we just stayed home for a couple of years, as, as we know everybody did. And I, I knew of him and I just love his playing. So I asked him to join. And uh, because of the uh, pandemic situation, he couldn't come. So he had to record it in his place to, as an overdub, actually. So that's my hope for the future to get the chance to play with him live. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. I mean, I, I would have to jet myself off to Europe or somewhere in Scandinavia to be there, but that would be a beautiful concert. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's really fantastic, yeah. Lars, it's funny because sort of in the time that I've known your music and known of your work, I think of you as a band leader and a composer. But of course, like many great band leaders and composers, you were a sideman and and still I'm sure, you know, for certain people you would you'd yes. be happy to be a band member. Of course. But in terms of when you were younger, when you started out and were playing in some really astonishing groups, what did you kind of learn from the band leaders that you played with? I mean, maybe not only the band leaders, but the musicians. I had opportunity to play with musicians that was my heroes when I grew up and and listened to. I think they have taught me everything. Uh, so so that's that's the best school you can do. I learned to play improvised music and jazz on, on stage, actually. I didn't study that. I studied classical music, but but jazz I, I learned mostly from playing. Yeah. And I mean, playing with someone like Dave Liebman, I mean, he was in your band, but that must have been quite an experience. Yeah, that, that was really fantastic. And he, he, he was like a mentor for me when, when that, during those years. He, he And that, that whole group with Jon Christensen and Bobo Stensen, they learned me, that learned me a lot to play with them, how, how to play freer music and to improvise and um, yeah, that was really big challenge. I mean, s sometimes we just uh, went on stage uh, just because we had a couple of songs that we always played, but we played them so much. So sometimes we just started to play improvised, and uh, and that that was the sometimes the greatest concerts when we just improvised. I think. Phenomenal musicians. I mean, it's just, yeah, I sort of think, oh, there must be so many stories. I, I, guess, I, I guess it is. I mean, s sometimes we just uh, went on stage uh, just because we had a couple of songs that we always played, but we played them so much. So sometimes we just started to play improvised. And, uh, and that, that was the 
sometimes the greatest concerts when we just improvised, I think. jumping on here quickly to tell you about how you can support The Jazz Session. This show is supported by listeners who love these interviews so much that they become members over at Patreon. There are two membership tiers for which you can sign up. $5 a month will get you a bonus weekly episode called Track of the Week, where an artist tells the listener about a tune off their new album and then you hear the track in question. For $10, you'll get Track of the Week plus a monthly bonus episode from the spin-off series, The Insider. This is where I chat to jazz industry experts, publicists, label heads, managers, journalists, broadcasters about the artists that they work with, the music that inspires them, and the nuts and bolts of the jazz business. I think these are really interesting conversations for anyone, just because these careers are so varied and really demand such interesting skills of the individual patience and babysitting. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, I will also be hanging monthly with Patreon members. This will either encourage you to sign up for membership or it'll completely put you off, but let's see which way you go. So if you want more information, you can head to thejazzsession.com slash join, and that'll take you to the Patreon page. Now back to the show. And do you do any teaching? I don't do that. I'm because I have so much work to do with composing all the time. And and right now I'm arranging for symphony orchestra, and that takes a lot of time also. So so it's a lot of notes to be written. Do you enjoy it? Yes, very much, very much. Do you, and which symphony orchestra are you arranging for? Uh, Gothenburg Symphony Orchestra. We will record with the band and the orchestra in December. Yes. That's amazing. Are you scared or just excited? I'm mostly excited, but I'm scared time-wise because I'm always behind with the work. So I need a deadline. Otherwise, I get too lazy. But uh, we we have recorded all, already... Um, 30 minutes of music with that we did uh, two years ago. So so this is uh, like a continuation of that recording. Yes. Oh, wow. And it's interesting because Cloudland was also made, I think you started recording it in, in 2019? Yes. And then finished it in? in? In one year later, actually. Is that normal? 
for me for, for me yes sometimes when i go to record with other bands we can do it in normally it's two days for a jazz recording i would say but i need more time i i, I think it's i like to record one session a couple of days and then think of it and maybe add something and do it again i'm i'm very slow at that actually myself i wouldn't say you're slow i would say that you pay (laughs) attention to detail and i think it's a good thing yes and sometimes it can be too much details it's it's a balance how much you should let go things because i also like spontaneous improvisations and uh, so it, it's really a balance how, how how much you should yeah. do that yes it's but it is i mean it's very interesting because now i appreciate the album in a slightly different way because i think that it's stretched over all this time and there's been this kind of meticulous recording something thinking about it it's like a sculptor you know taking time to chip away it is yeah i agree yeah i agree but i also did some recordings uh, i did one duo album with paolo freso mm. and uh, that we recorded in one and a half day so that was very quick and we didn't meet before we just di- did everything in this studio so it, it's very different but with it, with my band it's always take a lot of time because of me not because of the musicians it did that experience recording with paolo in a day and a half was that fun for you or did you feel rushed i must think it it felt very natural because it was it it was a, it was a flow in the studio and we it was very easy actually it's beautiful it's lovely to hear about your process and then to compare it with the audio result which is meticulous yeah. it is i must the production of all your albums yeah. uh, it's just yeah. crystal beautiful oh thank you i get a lot of help from the musicians of course and then also f- uh, from cecilia norby who helps me produce i get a lot of he- help from her because also she's very good at the musical form and to put things together and so I like to work with with uh, with the musicians who can help me with that. Yeah, it's lovely. It's very collaborative, and that's the way to yeah make jazz. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Given that you love the idea of voice and melody, and you worked with vocalists before. A lot. I I mean I worked uh, uh, many years with different vocalists, like for example Cecilia Norby. Uh, we recorded i think five albums together and one du- duo album and uh, and then i played a lot with diff- different vocal I-, I played a lot with vocalists i think that's very important as a bass player to learn how to do that i think i hope if any young bass players are listening to this that they hear you say that and they immediately go out and find a <laughs> vocalist that they can just play 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 with yes i think this very Fantastic, just the bass and voice. I mean, that, that's fantastic sound together. And why do you think it's important? What does it teach you as a bassist or a vocalist? Uh, to relate to the melody and the lyrics. If I play a bass note or a rhythm comp, it should be heard that I know the melody, that I know the song. I'm playing, I'm playing the song all the time. 
And when I say playing the song, it means also during the solos, it's also song. It's the musicians that compose a melody in, in, in the moment. And I should be able to, to re react to that and to play something that fits to that. And oh, I don't know if you can answer this, but what do you think a vocalist can learn from playing duo with a bassist? Uh, playing with a upright bass player as a vocalist is not so easy because you really had have to have the good intonation and to adjust to the bassist because we all play out of tune more or less so uh, so for example when i play with cecilia norby who i played a lot with she's amazing to adjust to my intonation and find where where i feel i always play in tune when i play with her so so that that that's um, it's, it's a challenge for a, a, a vocalist i think that's a lovely compliment though i hope that i hope that makes <laughs> its way back to cecilia and she hears that you said yeah, that yes 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 very nice compliment and i mean obviously you're busy writing for the symphony and you'll record at the end of the year the second part yeah. of that album yeah. but and what is have you looked past that a new libretto album what's next next uh, i mean i mean uh, the plan is that this that should be an album uh, with with the symphony orchestra so it's because it's the same band right with the orchestra okay yeah but but after that i have no plans more than i i'm i'm also writing a working on a cello concerto for a classical player but uh, that's it. I have just started, so that will come in the future. How scary is that? It's not scary. It just uh, takes a lot of time, and I need to. It's a lot of work because I want. Uh, yeah, I want want it to be good, but also I. I have to decide in what way to do it. But I, I have, quite. I actually I have one part ready, so. It's, it's a good start. Well, I look forward to seeing more news about that and maybe hearing it. Hopefully that will be recorded Hopefully, too. Hopefully, yes. Do you practice every day, Lars? I should. <laughs> I try to. Yes, I try to. Yeah. But like today, I was traveling and then came home not so long ago and now we're doing this. So today I didn't practice actually. Not yet. But the day isn't over yet. He's saying, and it's it's now eleven o'clock where where Lars is in Sweden. Just yeah, just so you yeah. know, the day is yeah. not the day is not <laughs> over. The day is just starting, especially for a jazz musician, at eleven p.m. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, Lars, I I wanted to know you've how I don't know how many years now that you've been with ACT it's, recording. Yeah, eighteen years. Wow. I started there 2003 was my first album if I if I remember right. Wow, 18 years. And how is that relationship for you because that's, you know, a very long working relationship and support. It is and and it it it, it was uh, in a way the beginning for me to get out from Sweden and to go more international for my work. And uh, so I was very 
grateful that I could come to a record company as that. And, uh, and, and the, the founder, Sigi Locke, was very supportive to me all those years. So, so that has helped me a lot. And I, I, I hope it's, there's more, more, many more years to come, hopefully. I'm sure there will be. And does it feel like you're part of a family? Because it's a, it's a really impressive label and there's so many wonderful and interesting artists under the umbrella, yourself included. So is it nice? Do you feel like you're part of a sort of a Yes, community? yes, I feel that I, because we sometimes work with artists uh, who is on the label. So maybe we play on each other's album uh, sometimes yeah it's it's very very nice actually and and also the people who works at the company is amazing and supportive uh, and, and are amazing on the to get the the products out yeah to the people i mean i did also see that uh, siggy is still doing some producing i know his role has yes. changed with act what is he like as a producer um, I know he didn't produce this album, but you've worked with him. I know, but but for me, he was very good and helpful uh, also as a producer, because, for example, sometimes it was one time I, I sent some music to him and he called me up and said, it's, it's great, but it's not fantastic. And, and I agreed, there was something missing and uh, he also said that nobody else will tell you because uh, and I, I said I said I, I agree there's something's missing so as we started to think what to do and he gave some some advices which was very good for me so it's been a great help in that sense actually I suppose that honesty is is precious because it's quite rare maybe yes 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 it, it's, it's very important. Yeah. I think it's good good not to take all the decisions about yourself from yourself, though you have to, I mean, the last word has to come from yourself. Of course. Yeah. And you don't mind that. You don't mind being the band leader and having to not make all the decisions, but make a lot of decisions. You don't get tired? Or making this, yes, sometimes I do. But then I, for example, when we record with the band, uh, Magnus is uh, Öström is often taking over the producing role, and I, I, I can, I can say to him, please, you, you do this, and I go and have a coffee. So, so yeah, because he is really good at that, and he is very supportive also. Yeah, and you trust him, and that's that's so special. Sometimes. <laughs> Magnus, if you're listening, not all the time, not all your decisions, <laughs> Lars agrees with. No, I trust him. I trust him. Yes. Because I did wonder, because I saw that he and Cecilia were credited as producers. Yes. So I, yes. I wondered what the dynamic was. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I think they were doing different things in different parts, you can say. Yeah.
thank you note to everybody who makes the Jazz Session possible, namely the Patreon members over at thejazzsession.com slash join, and also listeners who enjoy these conversations. I'd also like to tip my hat to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Instagram and Facebook at The Jazz Session. There is also a YouTube channel to which you can subscribe if you would like to see video excerpts of my conversations with all these phenomenal jazz musicians. You can rate and review the Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen, and that would be great. It would make the show more visible to us the potential listeners and future patrons you're also welcome to subscribe on any of those listening channels so that you never miss an episode now back to my conversation with Lars is there anything that is kind of on your bucket list somewhere you'd really love to perform somebody you'd really love to collaborate with something that you haven't yet done that you'd like to tick off yeah yes um I think at the moment it, it's a lot of my own playing on my albums. There is a lot of things I want to do. Uh, maybe playing the bass in in a, in an environment where it's a lot of space and air. And I also working on my new instrument from the 18th century. It's five string. It's cello bass hybrid between cello. So I'm experimenting with that. And, and so I, I have a, a plan to record something with all that. But that's only with myself. But then to play with other musicians, m- mostly I, I want to continue with the musicians I'm playing with, actually, because I, I, I love them so much to play with them. So. And just tell us about, because I did read about that five-string bass in the, well, the, the bass cello hybrid in the press release. Tell us about that. I mean, it must be very rare. It is. It's it's an old, uh, it's, a, it's a small bass or a big cello, you can say. So it's it's rebuilt in France by Jean Ure as a five-string. So what I'm doing now is that I'm, searching for strings i have strings uh, special made for it so so i haven't decided my idea was to have th- uh, three of the strings as in fifth and then the deep strings which also three because the center string in fourth that's that's my idea but i'm not sure yet if it will work or if i can play on it so did you come up uh, with the hybrid? Yes, together with uh, Jean, because I, 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 we talked for many years about to, to, to have one instrument that could work as a cello and a bass. So, so the challenge now is to see which tuning it will be, because the bass is there and it's fantastic instrument. So. That's amazing. And do you stand or sit while playing it? Sit. I sit. Because if I, it's so small, so if I stand, it feels weird. But if I, because it's so small, yeah. So it's it's like a big cello, you could, could say. If you stand, does it feel like somebody accidentally shrunk your bass and it's some sort yeah. of... Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Parallel universe. Yeah. This is not my Yes, 
Yes. <laughs> but that's fascinating, Lars. So, and is the goal for the high end of it to sing the way that the cello does? It won't be the same. It, w it will be different. It, uh, right now it's tuned as a bass with a high string, uh, with a C string on the top. So it's like a five string bass. But I want to make it, I think it should sound better to, to have strings, different strings, as a, to have it in fifth, actually. And you'll both pits and arco on it, or just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You're going to start something, and it's an instrument that you and, um, I forget your co-inventor's name in France, you... Yeah, Jean Ouray. Yeah. Jean, you, you co-invented this. The next thing people are going to want to buy them. It's not possible because this is a one. There is only one. But did he make no, no, it no. from scratch? It's, 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 it is three, 300 years old. So it, it was a, a small, I don't know if it was three stringed or four string, but like a small bass, very small bass. Okay, yes. I wasn't sure. I was like, did you make this from scratch or it, it so it existed? No, no, it, it, he restored it. Okay. And you can put it together and put it in a box to, to and travel with it as well. Okay, so it must be very clear. You can't buy this. No one else can have one. There's only one uh, unless they, they, they build a new one, of course. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. we won't tell you where Jean lives because this is special. Yeah. Is... yeah. Yeah. Wait until Lars figures it out 100% and then you can have one. Yes. Because he would have been first. Yes. <laughs> I think that's fabulous. Did you play it on this album or no? Yes. Uh, on, on, the, on the first song, it's this instrument. But still... Uh, tuned as a, a bass. So I think this, the sound will be different in the future. Beautiful. So Africa's on the second album. I did say to you in the email that I loved that song because I am South African. Wow. So I saw the title and I went, oh, and I, and I loved it because it has the vibrancy and the sort of rhythmic um, complexity of a lot of great, not just South African, but African music. You get all those cross rhythms and uh, everything that comes from drumming. Uh, what was the inspiration about behind that writing that song? Uh, when I wrote the song, it didn't have to do. I didn't think of Africa actually, because uh, I, I, don't, I I've, I've never been there. But I, uh, but I listened to a lot of African music. Yeah. For example, Umu Sangare, I love. Uh, but when when it was written and we re recorded. I thought it had that vibe, so that that's was the, where, where the name came from, actually. Because there are, of course, other songs that is called the same. But I felt it, this is this is is my way of looking at Africa. Oh well, you'll have to get to Africa, Lars. That should be on your list. It is. It is. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me and. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. Great questions. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you called me. Happy practicing. Thank you. Take care. Bye.
A big thank you to this week's guest, Laster Nielsen. You can find his album Cloudland wherever you buy your music, and I highly recommend that you find a copy and then bathe in its absolute serenity and beauty. And I cannot thank you enough for tuning in this week. More information about the jazz session can be found on the website. And if you'd like to become a member over at Patreon, you can head to thejazzsession.com slash join. Come and hang with me this month. I hope someone shows up other than my mother. I will see you next week for another conversation about jazz and life on The Jazz Session.